Hey Val, how's it going? It's good. Yes. I wonder, do you think we start every episode like that? I feel like we kind of do. I mean, I That's edit most it. of the podcasts, and I'm going to be honest, we do. We do. <laughs> Gotta come up with some better greetings. <laughs> Howdy, partner. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Shut it down. Okay. I wore a purple shirt because everyone kept oh. saying I always wear black. It's true. But, you know, it's just the industry uniform. It is. But we're both wearing colors-ish today. We're not wearing black, at least. So I'm proud of us. Yeah. yeah. There's growth here on the podcast. <laughs> Another Val Chad episode, which is, my, I've said this before, my favorite kinds of episodes. I know. I like to think they're some of the best, although our guests are great. But we're funny, too, no, sometimes. I'm, I'm okay. kidding. I'm kidding. I, I, I can't <laughs> be that vain. Um, yeah. Let's just say it's the 1B to the guest's 1A. Yeah, yeah. We're up there, though. But I do think it's good because, I mean, thankfully, there's a lot to talk about. I mean, people wouldn't know what the timing exactly is because, obviously, we're releasing new episodes every week. But it's been a little while mm -hmm. since you and I did us catch up. So what have you been up to? Because I know you've been very busy. Yeah, well, you know, the events things, you know, they just keep moving. Yeah. But uh, obviously... We were in that interesting period between the end of uh, Labor Day mm -hmm. and kind of like the second week of October, like mid spooky season, where it kind <laughs> of was like, spookies. yeah, it was kind of a little <laughs> slow. Yeah. Um, and I think in that period of time, a lot of times you like start assessing like, how's the year been so far? Like our crazy festival summer is over. Yep. We're gearing up for fall headline season and touring. Every year. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then- we go right into the holidays, New Year's, and I mean, pretty much you should be planning your Q1, Q2, as they say in the biz. Um, yeah, you sound very official. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you should be planning that stuff now. Yeah. What's always difficult is that kind of like that song and dance of like, you know, I mean, a lot of festivals are already booked. I don't know if people know that or not. Mm. So you've been hearing people internally getting their festival offers and stuff for next year. Very exciting. Yeah. But it always kind of like freaks you out, like, oh my god, are we really are we going back into this again? Oh it's my happening. God. Yeah, uh, Coachella lineup's going to be coming out in just like two or three months, you know. And so, yeah, the cycle is vicious. Um, <laughs> I will say, and right now we've been deep in this fall headline season. Yeah, um, I know you've been going to a lot of shows. We were both at the Jai Wolf sh headline show at the Greek. Mm -hmm. A lot of simultaneous tours going on. Like any night, there's like four or five things. So many things. Yeah, it it was it's been wild. I went to go see Sam Gellitry recently, but then there's all these other things, and then you guys threw a party on throwing, a roof, throwing a party on a rooftop, yep. and you know the one thing we talked about this in a previous Val chat is that right now, just events are booming. Mm -hmm. You know, um, festivals especially have been doing well, and a lot. I mean, better than they have been. Um, but I, you know, it's kind of interesting. I feel like. We are seeing a little bit of stuff slowing down. What do you mean by stuff? So a lot of, I think, sales for some things that were performing a little bit better earlier this year have kind of slowed down. I don't know if it has to do with like, I mean, for us, you know, I think we have lower stakes. Mm -hmm. It's like smaller cap. And so it's a little bit easier to clear some of these things. But you got to imagine with so many artists touring at once, there's no way that every person who's interested in all of these artists could see all of them. I know. And it's also important to think about, you know, the reason why ticket sales feel a bit trickier than before is a person's dollars really like it kind of 
limited right now. You know, like tickets are expensive. You can't, there's so many shows. You can't buy a ticket to every single thing every single weekend. So you do have to kind of pick and choose like which shows you want to go to. So I can also see why some rooms are harder to fill if they're not like the number one artist for someone. Totally. Yeah. And for a lot of things like, you know, Fred again at the shrine and some of these like fall dates, you know, people bought tickets for those things like in the summer yeah. when like months ago. Mm -hmm. And so we're not, that's not reflective of, you know, consumer spending habits right now or yeah. in the last month or so, you know, at the end of summer, people that's getting ready point. for school. So it's just kind of interesting kind of seeing that in real time. I mm -hmm. think our industry is always good at adapting, but sometimes you just can't predict what's going to happen. One thing that I think is really interesting, I'd love to get your feedback on this, mm. is, you know, because sometimes I wonder, how do people afford all of these shows when it comes to festivals? Yeah. With all these fees and all this stuff. Um, yep. I wonder how people can afford the sheer amount and volume of things. Because I, I see people coming to every event of ours. Yeah. Certain select fans and, and members of our community, and I, we, we don't exist without them. So, yeah. um, first of all, I just want to say that's awesome. But, I've recently discovered deferred payment. And <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I know that it's like... <laughs> you're it's a like, hot topic. <laughs> I know you're like, yeah, thank you for joining us. Uh, welcome. Um, but, you know, I've always been someone that just pays it stuff in full. Yeah, because we're responsible. And we're probably old. That's why. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> you yeah, know. But, um, yeah, deferred payment is kind of like... It, I mean... It's I, dangerous. Yeah. This is a conversation that I had with Jose, who is our producer silently up, listening right now yeah but we talked about this because this is a symptom i think of most big cities but specifically in la you spend enough time here and you run into some people and you're like well a couple of years ago it used to be like you meet people and you're like how do you afford your lifestyle because it's the kind of person where they're out at everything yeah. they don't necessarily have a like a maybe a singular job or like a full-time job that you're like oh that's what pays the bills so you're left being like how do you afford all of this and it's either <laughs> family money it used to be like drug dealing that was the like other secret thing where you're like oh that's how they have money all right. sometimes it's only fans now and all i right. think the fourth one is debt yeah <laughs> It's the think, real one. I didn't expect that we were going to go in this direction. No, podcast, I just, I'm but... just, yeah, it's just, it's fresh off the dome. Uh, yeah. But yeah, yes, debt. And then also there was obviously a lot of the dark money, as we call it. Uh, um, yeah, but yeah. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Jose always he's laughing category. right now. He always laughs when I say it. But, you know, there was this ambiguous, like, new wealth with, like, crypto and stocks. I yeah. don't know how much of it applies Remains. to right now. I don't know. <laughs> I And honestly, I don't think about this stuff that much. Only when it applies to business. Yeah. Now I'm trying to become a little bit more acutely aware of, like, how people spend. I mean, it's just important to know. Yeah, especially and, for your business. Yeah. Business. So, you know, I'd be watching some CNBC and Wall Street Journal on the YouTubes uh, a Have lot. Have you ever seen the TikToks? Where there's like financial experts and they take calls from people. Oh my God. And it's like they start sharing the honest truth of their financial situation and it's a disaster. Oh, Have you seen those? No. Now you're opening up a whole yeah, window. Yeah, this, this is a whole different conversation. But, but no, yeah, this is, this is totally, no, it's on the same topic because yeah. I am curious how much deferred payment and certain things like that sort of inflate our sense of how people are doing. Um, mm. I bought like three separate things on deferred payment recently, mm. but I could have just bought it straight up, but I was kind of like, 
you know, I'm interested. You're like, why in, not? It's just a low. <laughs> it's like not a crazy amount. You know, it's yeah. like it's like a lower amount, you know, a couple hundred bucks or whatever. But you split it out into four thirty dollar payments right. over every two weeks. Way less PayPal, impact. I PayPal's got my back. Yeah. Um, but it's just easy <laughs> for me. And then I feel like you know I don't know if it builds credit or not, but you know it's just, I'm just I was kind of interested in it anyway. So I'm just thinking about like. When people recently have been kind of telling me, like, yeah, have things been slowing down for you? Because, like, things aren't doing as well for me, us. And mm. it made me think about, like, you know, how much do these things kind of come into play? So I've been kind of thinking about that when I go to shows and, you know, and I look at different um, – the rate at which certain things sell or don't. Uh, yeah. I'm always interested in – because, like, everyone was talking about that we were going to go into this hard recession. And it's just, like – it didn't, it does, it's it's like, like it doesn't seem recession. like it. Like, it's yeah. just, it seems like everyone is, is, can afford a $20 salad. I did talk to my friend recently who is a financial, financially smart and driven person about that. Cause I had the same question where I was like, what happened to this recession that people are talking about? And she was like, it is very strange because things on the surface seem to be slowing down. Like there's layoffs and lower spending as far as like big companies go, but then people are still spending. Yeah. And I do kind of think it's, I think it's the afterpay debt kind of thing. It's tricky. Yeah. And I've seen it in, I agree. And I've seen it firsthand because I've been going to the mall more recently. <laughs> and, <Okay>. uh, you <laughs> we, know. we won't dive into that, no, but I'm curious about that as well. <laughs> Well, you know, I live in the valley and, you know, one of the things when it's really hot is you go to the mall. And actually it's a, <laughs> at Westfield, Topanga, they built this huge like Grand Central Market kind of place called Topanga Social. It's really cool. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Continue. This isn't too much of a tangent. Trust me. Okay? I'm listening. I know I'm the tangent guy. I love your thoughts about the mall. But, <laughs> yo, the mall's tight. All right. I I just I hey, like brick and mortar. from high school is back in style again. So that I'm makes saying. sense that the mall is tight again. And you know, I used to walk around the mall by myself. You get a Jamba Juice and an Auntie oh. Anne's pretzel. <laughs> Hot dog on a stick. Goated. They're lemonade. Still, yeah. Flats. Anyway, but you see I I you see people spending a lot. Yeah. And you know, I just I have a feel it's credit, you know, and I yeah. I wonder how much of the industry that we're in in music and dance and like experiential and like stuff like that is propped up by this kind of spending because mm. Halloween Horror Nights, for instance, you know, <laughs> this was something that back in the day was just kind of a novelty. You'd be like, oh, you go on Halloween Horror Nights? Yeah. Oh, we'll go one night, you know. Yeah. But now it's literally like a lifestyle. I was telling my friend, I was is like, it? yeah, because huh. see what we're seeing out of the out of the um, pandemic coming out of it experiences and experiential uh -huh. and theming and going out to things that you can capture on social media is like at an all-time high it's just like insane for sure but well, there's a yeah. huge cost of entry for some of these things mm. disneyland is more expensive than it's ever been yet it has no trouble being at capacity every day yeah. um and then halloween horror nights we were talking someone who works over there sold out every night and it's yeah. just like that's kind of unreal when you think about like how many people go every day well that's a really Interesting segue yeah. because going into today's conversation, for those of you listening, Chad and I were talking about coming prepared with one thing that we feel like is in and one thing that we feel like is out because I feel like there's so much going on across music and events and everything. And I'll go ahead and jump ahead because I was going to save Please. this till later. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I will say that the thing that I was going to talk about that, in my opinion, is on the outs. We're going to start with outs? We're going to start with outs because okay. the segue is too good. Honestly. Okay, what's out? What's out? What's so out? So for me, what's out 
And if you know me, I've been talking about this for a couple months now because I feel like, I mean, this has been ongoing for a while, but for me, noticing it more this year is the shows, and we all know which shows they are, which you go and everyone's got their phone up in the air recording the thing and not dancing. And I have, and I will caveat this because I know that's a, it's almost like a mixture of like, it's so obvious and also so agreeable that like, I feel like I have to explain it more where I get it. I also film a lot of stuff and post it on my Instagram story. Love to be like, love this song or happy I'm at this show. And I think this relates to what you just said, because it's that weird sense of like, people buy the ticket and have to prove like, I went to this thing. Right. And that's almost like what they're paying for. Yeah. And I actually think like, which is there's no issue with that. I'm glad that you're proud of, you know, the money you spent on this ticket. You're spending your weekend there. I'm happy for you. But it just weirds me out when you go to something that is a dance floor situation and no one is dancing anymore (laughs) because of that. Because I think there's a way, right? You can film it for like a minute, put your phone down and then keep dancing. Yes. But I've been to so many shows now this year where. The visuals are a highlight of the show and it becomes so encompassing that like you're literally on a floor of zombies and it's freaky. It's really freaky. And you know what? I will name it by name because obviously I'm talking about Tail Bus (laughs) and I'm talking about Eric Prids, which both I've seen in the past few months. And I both, you know what? I will say I'm a fan of Eric Prids' music. I feel some ways about Tail Bus, but I support and appreciate like the universe that they've built. Mm-mm. But it's just a really strange thing. Yeah. And I don't know. I think it's maybe just a symptom of like things going viral and like now people who aren't necessarily like dance music fans are coming to the show and they just like want to show off again this like experiential thing that you're talking about where that's why all the tickets are sold out all the time for things that you're like proud to post on your story. Yeah, that's a that's really weird. that's a really interesting point. I I definitely of course, have seen all that stuff. Yeah. Um, I do have to give credit when artists create an environment with their shows that like really makes dancing and partaking and interacting the focal point mm-hmm. and like people with their phones out even, at least they're like, you know, going crazy. Yeah. Because um, I almost feel like the phone as like an accessory in, in hand is almost like really difficult to escape especially for a certain of age course group. yeah I, I saw a group of teenagers walking by uh, in the mall <laughs> the, no they don't go to the mall no oh, they do okay. go to the mall i'm just kidding um i was at in and out and there's like a group of like high school kids walking first of all all four of them look like they're in their pajamas so it's like okay <laughs> And I know that's kind of how we dressed in Y2K era. So it's like, okay, I guess we really have come full circle. Mm -hmm. So I was looking at this and I was like, I could not tell if this, I went to the same in and out 20 years ago, you know? So I'm like, (laughs) this could have been 2004. Like, I don't know. It could have been. Yeah. Except everyone had their gigantic ass phone in their hand while they're walking. Were they filming stuff No, they're just walking. walking. Everyone has it in their hand at all times almost. Yeah, for sure. And that's the thing I will say because like I know I sound like a grumpy old person when I'm like, put your phone down and dance. But like, I get it. I will be the first to admit like I love recording a bit at a show or like a cool track. I'm very much there for like recording things. I don't hate on that at all. But it's just really strange when you look around and truly no one is moving. 
yeah. you know, and the yeah. phones are up. And actually, the reason why I thought this was extra interesting, because I've been thinking about this for a while, because anyone who even cares about dance music knows, like, Eric Fritz has been doing the Hollow Show for, like, a while now, and the Tale of Us thing has gone viral and all that. But I saw this clip of David Guetta talking about one of the downfalls of the current music environment and he was talking about how it's very strange to be playing and no one is dancing and only phones up sort of thing yeah which is interesting coming from an artist like him because it's like you know he's david getta he plays super clubs all the time he's playing like pop bangers and oftentimes to people who don't even know what dance music is they just Mm. are there because they want to get drunk or like they heard it on the radio they know his name but for i feel like for him to say it and maybe we'll i don't know if we're fancy enough i can put a little clip of it right here so you can like see the clippy but for him to say that i was like that really made me think also about what it's like to be on the artist side of it, right? Because, like, obviously there's a moment of, like, when you're building something like that, you're excited that people are so happy to, like, capture it and share it because, like, you've done a good job. You yeah. got creative and probably spent a ton of money on your visuals. But at the same time, when you're a DJ who DJs music for a dance floor and then you look up and everyone's just, like, planted there, not moving, like, that's so weird. I know, I know. <laughs> it's so it's such a double-edged sword, though, because the phone is such a gateway for marketing now, you know? And, like, all yeah. the artists, like, especially being on tour with artists, young artists, they love reposting the, like, super, like, feral clips of people on their, <laughs> like, recording their set on their phone up close or... Yeah. I mean, it's it just necessary. looks good, you know? So it's like, you can't discourage people from doing that. It's like a very important, as as someone who like literally was just on tour this past weekend as the professional iPhone filmer, mm. you know, I like, uh, you know, you have to, you have to give credit to like, you can't bite the hand that feeds you. And in my case, because it's like, yeah. obviously our whole career was almost built off of an iPhone, you know, footage. For it, sure. It's it, a tool. But I don't, I don't like it. Like I personally, <laughs> like I don't like filming stories of my shows anymore. And yeah. when I go to, I like went to go see The weekend, and I felt embarrassed to record it and share it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and that's just me. That's just like my personal, yeah. you know, feeling about it. Maybe it's just because of my career, but like I didn't really want, I also kind of don't want people to know where I am anymore. For sure. And that's like a weird. It's a generational vibe. difference though. Cause I think that's our generation where we are a little more precious because I feel like we were the last generation that grew up without the internet being like everywhere. Yeah. Whereas now it's just normal. Like you just yeah, have to do the it oversharing. Sort of well, the oversharing. Yeah. I mean, for me, I just like, there was a period where I stopped posting stories mm-hmm. and then I would just post a, you know, I'd post like a, a catch up post. Like, you know, people do dumps. Yeah. But just, yeah. I hate that, by the way. I, I'm not going to say dump. that's on the out, but I just stopped saying dump. <laughs> Um, but yeah, dump, like, dump. <laughs> Chad says no dumps. <laughs> uh, yeah. But you know, just like a, oh, here's what I've been doing. But like, I yeah. don't know in real time. Like, I agree with the, with the millennial thing. I'm just, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we could talk about the whole, I mean, societally, how it, how it reflects. But it sounds like but... you are becoming fatigued with the phone portion or, you know, component yeah, of shows. Like the experience. And not only myself, cause I'm sure I'm, I'm in nowhere unique in that experience, but also interesting that the artists are also noticing that as well. And I don't think, again, David Guetta was an example that I saw on the internet, but obviously he's not the only one that I'm sure feels that way. Well, but, you know, I that 
this was going to be one of my potential outs, but mm. it's kind of a little too similar to what you were saying because it's like a small part of what you're saying. But yeah. just to add on to your out, I think nightclubs are out. Ooh, I, hot I just take. I was nightclubs I had an experience recently at uh you know, one of the top tier nightclubs uh, in the United States. And, and so I, when you say nightclub, like, are you talking about like, like what type of nightclub? Cause that can we're talking sense. about like electronic music forward, like club, you know, like bottle service yes, clubs. Yes. Okay. Yeah, op- yeah. Yeah. Open late, huge DJs, crazy cover, mm. extremely exclusive. Yeah. Very limited. Yeah. I just like, they're out. It's it, for me, it's out. Why? Tell me more. Because I think that like young people, and and I, I hope I hope I'm right. I hope that this next generation on the come up, like, you know, challenges some of these institutions. Yeah. But like, number one, they're not about drinking. I was gonna say that's the number one thing I think contributes to it for sure. Because I feel like we've all seen the headlines of younger people are just drinking less overall. Yeah, and like if people want to drink, that's totally fine too. I am super pro drinking. You know, like <laughs> I, I, I just... like I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> Well, I am. That's the funny thing. But because, you know, I'm different, different topic, I, yeah, different because topic. I haven't drank in five years, it's opened my eyes to the fact that I think that like there just needs to be moderation in everything. If you can be yeah. moderate, if you can be in moderation, then you're good. Yeah. But I think that the excess in all areas of nightclubs, yeah. you know, like just I, I don't want to go on a rant about this, but just like. <laughs> Just weird, just shady, predatory practices, weird yeah. stuff. I went to another nightclub recently that I haven't been to in a while. And I was like, damn, I used to do this. Like, yeah. you know, it's just yeah. like, it was sad. It was a sad scene, you know? Well, and, yeah. And, um, you know, like they obviously serve an important ecosystem, part of the ecosystem for musicians yeah. and artists. Um, and so I'm not, again, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not I'm not going to besmirch the the purpose of, you know, my nightclubs serve, right? Yeah. In dance music. They're kind of like I kind of can't imagine dance music without it. Mm-hmm. But if like y- you are an artist trying to do anything of importance right now, like I I almost feel like a nightclub is the last place you want to be. Um, yeah. That's because, an interesting take. Yeah. Just hearing feedback that like you go and do like, you know, we've been doing so many warehouse shows and like, you know, boiler room and that aesthetic and that vibe, the intimate vibe is yeah. such a, that's like really, I, I won't even want to say it's on the in, it's been in, you know? Mm-hmm. And so then when you go back into that setting where you go into a setting where everyone's on their phone or they're, you know, yeah. kind of apathetic, you know, it just, it really makes you feel like, like crap. Um, it is funny though, right? Cause I mean, for those who don't know, I'm also someone who doesn't, really drink and you've been sober now for five years right? Yeah, yeah. and going back into those spaces or just going into those spaces as without the, the like layer shield of alcohol you really realize how odd the experience is like everything about it's pretty unpleasant mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. but i mean it's interesting because i think i agree with you i feel like personally for me nightclubs have been it's almost like an entirely separate experience yeah right? it's like yeah. i actually think of it almost like it's almost like the DJs are doing a service to a different, entire different audience of people, right? It's like, those people don't really care who's no. playing. They no. they go because they recognize the name like a Diplo or Calvin Harris or something. You know, they've heard them on the radio and they're like, I know who that is. I would love to buy a ticket. But they might not even know what songs they're playing. They know like the hits on the radio, but that's it. Totally. And that's like just a genre of people that will always exist. 
And I think that it's totally fine for that part of the ecosystem to cater yeah. to those people, yeah. you know. And but I'm just saying, like, I guess from a, a, an artist standpoint, mm. excuse me, or someone who like works in the industry trying to do stuff that is like impactful, mm. I do not think that there is any incentive to do anything in a nightclub except for money. Like, and yeah. and and like, I don't think that's a controversial thing. No. But every time I go back into that setting, it's like hammered home even more. And, yeah. and so, you know, can't knock the hustle. I'm not going to prevent, I'm never going to, you know, prevent an artist from getting their bag, but it was just an interesting observation coming from uh, several instances recently in nightclubs where I was like, this feels like a kind of like a, an old model that yeah. maybe 10 years from now is not going to be as powerful. Well, I think that it probably applies to a couple different things. Cause I feel like we are hitting an interesting wall, not only in nightclub spaces, but other things that feel like they've opened up a little too wide to too many people or hit like this level of commercialism that whenever you get to that point, you always have to come down because you can't really stay there for that long. And I think of like a festival like Coachella, for example, I feel like anyone has felt and we've even talked about like the past few years have felt really like okay, this is like the pinnacle of pop culture rather than like pinnacle of just music for like music fans sort of thing. And it got to the point where it was almost like insufferable, the like coverage around it and like all these celebrities and like all the stuff that comes out. And it's like, what goes up must come down. Yeah. So, and I feel like that is kind of happening in the nightclub space. Cause like, I think DJs are still very much in charge there, but we did see, the comeback in a way of more like open format or like hip hop stars than becoming like the residents of certain like big clubs. I'm thinking of Vegas just cause that's like top of mind, but yeah, we'll see. Maybe, maybe there's like a, 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 a move away, a step away from like the DJ nightclub deep connection. But yeah, I mean, the, there's this maximalist, maximalist production in a lot of nightclubs all yeah. all over the country and artists are coming in and being like, I don't want any of this stuff on. I want yeah. it to be dark with lights and I want to be close to the crowd. Yeah. Basically like saying, in the middle, right? Yeah, basically saying like the way that the venue is outfitted is like too much yeah. for what is actually cool right now and, and what is it meaningful. Um, yeah. You know, so it's just food for thought. I would love to hear your in though. While, while we're, while Ooh, we're here. my in. Okay, my in this this time around is a little bit later now, but I feel like it's been a while, like I said, since you caught up. But my in is going to be Portola. Okay. The festival. All right. Because I went this year for the second time. I did go the first year as well. Mm-hmm. But I just think it's, I mean, one, and I'm sure you as an event producer can appreciate this. It's really hard to launch something of that scale and something like brand new like that and find success I think within the first two years Mm. and I will say that like Portola has done a really good job of filling a void that I feel like a lot of people maybe felt but didn't necessarily know that was the answer because San Francisco you know we could talk about that for a long time as well and go totally off tangent (laughs) but San Francisco is a place that used to feel a lot more culturally in touch and i think there's still there are bits and pieces of it i don't want people to be like you hate san francisco because i do love san francisco i'm from northern california um but like for a long time now with all the tech and the money and stuff i feel like it's been devoid of the like weird culture that it used to be known for yeah so for them to be able to pop up a festival that's really dedicated to like house and techno and kind of indie acts in the dance music space and do really well 
it's been really nice to see. And the festival was great. For those of who, who, you who followed the first year, there were a lot of like logistical issues. I feel like we all saw the viral videos of people like hopping over fences to get into stages. And yeah. that's a nightmare. Again, as yeah. an event producer, I'm sure you can imagine. That well, one of, yeah, to it, see. well, one of the things to that point was that yeah. I had mentioned this on a previous podcast, but like it's just the challenge of like booking an artist like Fred again. Yeah. Six plus months in advance and not under not I mean who could have comprehended foreseeing the, yeah, the 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 meteoric rise in that short amount of time yeah. but it's like you know it, it's really difficult it is a, 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 a very admirable undertaking to do something like that yeah um, plus like then we talked about in our last Val Chat episode about just festivals in general and Electric Zoo had just happened and we saw like how that all unfolded so totally. Yeah, so I feel like this year it felt like all of the issues that anyone had brought up or run into the first year were totally addressed. And the lineup, I will say, is probably one of the best I've seen across like a whole festival in a long time. Yeah. And I will end with Skrillex played a throwback set and everyone was very happy about it because it was really good. Good. Well, I'm really glad great. that he did that. I'm I'm glad that he's, you know, he's, He's definitely in like that deep curator lane right now, like yeah. in certain areas, especially when great. he does pop ups and stuff. Yeah. yeah. But I'm also glad that he's not afraid to play the hits. <laughs> yeah. Everyone was stoked about it. So yeah. that was my big, big win for this this episode. I was very happy great. about that. Well, I I love to hear a positive story in the Bay Area because we love yeah. the Bay. They're, it's like our second home. We're doing two shows there t- tomorrow and Friday. Yeah. And, you know, like, I think that, uh, unfortunately, yeah, one of the side effects of the pandemic and then, like, the changing kind of makeup of San Francisco has been the cultural Mm -hmm. um, aspects of it kind of on the decline or in a weird place. Yeah. Um, I agree with what what you were saying. Um, I do think a lot of it, what I remember, and not to get too off topic, but was when there was that fire in Oakland at the Ghost Mm -hmm. Ship Collective Mm -hmm. uh, co-op or whatever. Yeah. And all those people died in that fire. I think it was just kind of like it opened people's eyes that like artists were getting boxed out of San Francisco and they were going to like Oakland or even further and like living in these like kind of unsafe conditions. Yeah, because they couldn't afford anything. There was no place for art in San Francisco, really. And so I just think that it, I do, you know, got to give props to Golden Voice for doing cool artistic festivals. Yeah. You know, uh, Porter Robinson's Festival, Second Sky Mm -hmm. and stuff like that in the area just to kind of like you know do something there you know for yeah for those you know of course it's you're gonna get your vcs and your tech people (laughs) and uh but i do think that ultimately it's like culture first uh, yeah and i I will say the crowd was probably one of the other best parts besides the actual talent it was like the crowd felt like they all showed up early like on both days yeah they had really exciting but very early openers like salute was on the first day and azeka was on the second day mm-hmm. 2 p.m which sounds pretty early for a festival but by like the middle of both of their sets like there were tons of people there yeah showing up for actually for the music the vibes were good and it's like you can tell because i think like we said the communities within San Francisco have changed quite a bit, but you can tell that there's still like that hunger for good dance music. Cause even outside lands, which is the festival that happens there, they've largely focused on like bands and like more like actual singer songwriter or like indie focused kind of acts, but they always have a, a dance stage. That's kind of always been the little side stage, but I feel like for the past two years, it's always gotten to the point where like it's, 
at capacity. People can't get in anymore. And they're like so hungry to like see whatever DJ's in there. So people want it. So I'm glad that they have it now. Yeah. Which is nice. Yeah. I think we'll be uh, pleasantly surprised on this next festival cycle when we'll yeah. be seeing a lot more DJs. Mm. I think straight up DJs like Chris Lake Fisher style. Yeah. DJ sets in, you know, big uh, set times at a lot of festivals because I think it's just a no-brainer uh, yeah. for promoters. It's <laughs> it's easy to book, it's easy to set up, yeah, and people love it. You that's know? a good that's a good hypothesis. We'll see when yeah. the when the Coachella lineup comes out. We'll see what's on there. Well, uh, you're gonna get new jeans, I think, right? <gasps> oh, I hope so. We'll see. Fingers crossed. That's not any sources. That's just me uh, off the top. <laughs> you're starting of the rumors. Uh, okay. Well, I'll, <laughs> okay, we'll, yeah. we'll go yours? through mine real quick. So on the out, I would say, Ooh. <sighs> I just gotta say it. Okay, Ooh. look. The on the edge of my seat. The oversampling and like derivative, like reimagining of old songs is just completely Ooh, reckless now. Hot take, hot take. I just, I, and it's not just dance music. Like that's the most obvious thing is that it would yeah. be dance music. But like, ever like seems like anything that needs to chart and rap or pop or yeah. in between has to be a derivative track from something that everyone knows if you're like not taylor swift yeah. Or, yeah yeah and someone my friend ian you know was doing a rap mixtape and he was like <laughs> catching up on like oh what's on dj city what's all this stuff and he put together this mix and he's like dude almost all of the songs are just a, a like a remake of an old song and and yeah. i know that's not like i'm not telling any tales out of school like this has been the case in music forever. Like yeah. every song back in the day was sampled or, you know, covered by multiple people. Obviously sampling was the primary component of some of my favorite artist careers, like MF doom and Daft Punk. Their music doesn't exist without sampling, but there's an art to it. Yeah. The way that it exists in this day and age is not artful at all. It's not like they're not really manipulating the sample at all. Cause, like, you know, like you mentioned Daft Punk, and I've seen some like really amazing breakdowns of like how they sample. Yeah. And it's unrecognizable. But then you're like, oh, that's where that came from. I see. Yeah. Whereas now you're like, oh, this literally sounds like the songs from like early 2000s that totally. I was listening to on the radio, but to just now a different singer or different rappers on it. Yeah. And speaking of sampling, I think it kind of hit a bit of a kind of like a fever pitch when 21 Savage and Drake released the song Circle Loco, which was Drake lazily singing some rendition of One More Time by Daft Punk that just was like, <laughs> that was the take you used, you know? And like, and it didn't chart well. And it just like, what, what was it for? Like that, you decided that was your contribution to that song's legacy was you're going to do that, you know? And like Drake is usually better about sampling. Like he's, I could go on like all the different parts where he's been a, yeah. a huge win, you know, yeah. like the Lauren Hill sample on nice for what, you know, amazing. Yeah. Great. But like, it's just now I don't think it requires, I think, I don't think anyone puts any thought into, it, it seems rare that people put the thought into the meaning behind using any of these works or it's, is right. it just like, can we get this cleared? Oh, it's super easy to get the pub on this. Like, get it cleared. So, like, let's just do, let's run it. You know, it's yeah. it's trending on TikTok. Let's just see if we can get it officially up there on DSPs, you know? And yeah, I don't know. Like, I hope that people who make, like, original stuff, you know, like, I really hope that, you know, it's just like, you know, they're sampling, like, that Fred again does. And you're like, damn, oh, my God. This yeah. is, like, this is in the 
the spirit of like what is capable, um, what we're capable of, and you know. Yeah, but. that's the unfortunate part. I mean, Drake for sure was in his lazy went to Tulum one too many times era with that whole album and then more. But you know, but I agree. I think there's nothing wrong with sampling, which is where I think people often get like really defensive when someone brings this topic up. They're like, sampling is dance music and hip hop and everything. And it's like, of course it is. We know that. But it's lazy sampling where it's literally just the exact familiar song, which is why they're doing it, right? Because people react well to things that are familiar to them. Mm -hmm. But let's be smarter. Let's be smarter. I think is what it is, right? Let's be smarter listeners. I'm even okay with like... Olivia Rodrigo, you know, like on her last album, there was like all these comparisons about her and the cadence or like the like yeah. the chords or things that were similar to Paramore, Paramore or yeah. Taylor Swift. The and like that's just, yeah. But but like that stuff is always going to be kind of part of music. Yeah. It's the like, do I need G Easy to and Chris Brown to give me Return of the Mac? A different way because like return of the mac never needs to be sampled covered or given to you in a different way it is one of the greatest songs of all time and should just be left untouched until someone has like an actual breakthrough about what they can do with that song you know it's not gonna be them i'll tell you that yeah it's probably not (laughs) but anyway so like that for me is on the outs i don't think it's gonna change anytime soon but like but like again i feel like that's another thing where we have to be reaching the breaking point soon because i think it's become so common and so everywhere now that I know you and like people like you and I who are like music heads are definitely tired of it. But like even people who just listen to music casually, like it's got to be like, okay, like pop music has not sounded like this same in a really long time. Like, let's, yeah. that's why I think like an artist like Olivia Rodrigo who's like doing new ish stuff that calls from things, but like it sounds different than other pop music. It's like, let's do more of that. But yeah, and that's Love just that. that's just recycling an art, you know, like yeah, which is when, yeah, common, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay, what's your in? What's in? What's the Chad in? Honestly, mm-hmm. non-white headliners. <laughs> I thought you were about to say nothing. Yeah, nothing. <laughs> okay, uh, we always love. Yeah, I like. I, I, but I think that we're finally getting to the place now where like people are genuinely like mm. supportive and. Like it's not a novelty. It's not a novelty Ooh, anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair. I, I I really, especially going on tour with Noctu and a handful of other artists mm-hmm. uh, who are minorities and are not an typically awesome. an awesome. Yeah. But not typically, you know, from the same walk walks of life that uh you know has populated the the tops of and of course the biggest most revenue driving artists in uh, dance music mostly white men. Yep. But I do think that like there's a lot of changes. Um and I do think we got to give Coachella credit for really like they got a lot of flack for having Black Pink and Bad Bunny mm-hmm. and you know Frank whatever. Like it was it wasn't before that they got flack about Frank. It was after, but yeah. they went with a strictly non-white headliner uh lineup. Mm-hmm. And you know, in the past, like it did feel like, oh, are we like reaching too much to make this person a headliner? But now I'm just like, all of the, all of this suggests that like there's a cultural, there's a cultural shift, yeah. And I don't want to see the same kinds of people, um, just represented because, you know, because they seem to be the most popular because they're white, you know. And and yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I honestly think that has changed where people don't care about that stuff as much. Uh, yeah. You know. 
I love it. I mean, as you probably know, like I talked about this a lot earlier this year when Coachella was happening because I felt like them doing that was such a statement. And you're right. There was a lot of interesting pushback or like interesting like reactions to the Blackpink and Bad Bunny because they were almost like, oh, like they're not good. Like, I don't like them, whatever. And it's like, it doesn't have to be for you, but it's a statement to be able to say like a Coachella headlining spot is like a big deal. And like those, the way that that lineup gets built out affects a lot of different things culturally in music. So I think you're totally right. It takes time also. That should be another thing that's said. It's like, yeah, for those who maybe aren't familiar or aren't fans of those artists, like you see Bad Bunny, you see Blackpink and you're like, oh, they just like got famous really fast. And like, I don't get why like they deserve it sort of thing. But then you see like the influence they've had where like now there's so many like K-pop acts and like spinoffs and things that are just everywhere now. And also on the Latin side, like Bad Bunny's huge, but there's so much like happening in the Latin hip hop, like meets every genre kind of space. And it's great because that means we only get to see more of it. And also like not only just in those categories, but like then we'll see other parts of music and parts of the world that we've never heard of. So, yeah. And I think in 2017, you know, Lady Gaga was the first woman to headline Coachella. And crazy. Yeah. And so I just, it's important (laughs) to point out that like a lot of the, you know, it it has taken time, but now I Mm -hmm. think that we're finally getting very comfortable in a space where people just go where the music is best. And, Mm -hmm. and, and, but also like, it is important that like, Asian American folks have been riding super hard for these artists or, you know, people who are Spanish speaking, they'll come out and then, you know, they'll represent, you know, stuff that's like culturally authentic that speaks to them and their community finally being represented on pop radio. And yeah, and I think it's really it's just an amazing time to see um, this kind of flourishing in addition to artists like, you know, Taylor Swift, who are who generated four billion dollars on her (laughs) tour. Economy's riding on her back, you know, and not to say that white artists aren't, you know, um, also like you know incredibly talented and unique to the scene but i do think got a ride for for some of uh you know the other homies who yeah. who deserved deserve shine all these years and, and are I, finally getting it yeah and i do like what you're saying too i feel like it's becoming not only more common but also just normal where like i think it's good always to talk about it and celebrate it but it's also nice to not have to you know what i mean like it's nice for it just to be normal when you look at like a lineup or a group of artists and just be like, oh, like it's not just all white dudes and not have to like think twice or like have to go to the whatever organization and be like, have you thought about your diversity? <laughs> like I'm tired of having that conversation. Absolutely. So I'm really happy that we don't have to do that totally. as much. We still do, obviously, but no, but I mean, not as and, much. And, and last thing I'll say on this is like when I looked at like Coachella Reda and the genuine feedback from people, mm-hmm. who were the people that said, you know, a lot of people were mad at Frank. Okay. <laughs> a lot of people were yeah, mad for many let's, let's get that out of the way because he didn't deliver and he, yeah. uh, he barely for a lot of people even yeah. showed up we'll talk about that later <laughs> uh, uh frank ocean's in again yeah. guys yeah. um but a lot of the feedback black pink crushed it couldn't believe yeah. how professional they were uh rosalia unbelievable oh God, one of the best there's but a lot yeah. of the feedback was genuinely like like you know like people aw, love jive hall yeah. they were like this is fucking this is what i, I really wanted this you mm-hmm. know and so it's nice that it had nothing to do with like the diversity play, yeah. you know, needing to prop something up. Yeah. And yeah. just that it was like new and people were down for yeah. something that's new to them because obviously it's not new to everyone. But like yeah. to be open is hard sometimes now, I feel like with music fans, because I feel like that is 
you know, we were even just talking about like the samples being so familiar. Like I feel like people have a hard time trying new music or like getting into new music mm. more so than before. Mm. But it's cool that like in spaces like that, people allow that to happen and are positively and react positively at the end. So hell yeah. Yeah. Well, we also have a couple uh, community mailbag questions. I know. For the first time, if you're listening and you didn't see it, we went on Discord and on our socials and did some crowdsourcing because we have a lot of fun doing these episodes and just coming up with stuff we want to talk about. Yes. But it's also really fun because now that we've been doing the podcast for a while, we have some great followers who are also invested and are equally participating, going to brownie shows, going to festivals and want to hear about stuff so i'm glad that we kind of put it out there so if you're listening and you do have things you want us to talk about hit us up on instagram hit us up on discord at the brownies discord what's our email address all this noise pod at gmail.com all right but find us on instagram you can reach us there as well if you're our age you can send an email (laughs) exactly but yeah (laughs) we uh we did get some fun questions so let's talk about some of them okay i'll go for the first one then Okay, let's do it. This one comes from Hyperrealist. Shout out Hyperrealist on our Discord. Hi, Chad and Val and whoever else is reading this. It's awesome how much effort you put into putting the artists and music first always when it comes to what you do. Uh, The events, the streams, this podcast. That being said, do you ever feel underappreciated or underrecognized by people who uh, go to your events not knowing who B&L actually are or Mm. have no clue about the extra stuff you do, like the podcast or the Twitch streams? On top of that, uh, how do you balance wanting to grow as a brand but also staying relatively underground, true to the culture? Cheers. Love y'all. Big question. Big question. I mean, I think that beyond Brownies Lemonade, it could extend to like things that we've done um, yeah. respectively that, you know, like you might be known for this one thing, like Brownies Lemonade, the events. Yeah. But then it's like, we put so much time and effort into a podcast or, mm-hmm. you know, it, I believe like you've done your own individual kind of business efforts in the, the past where you're starting it from scratch and you're yeah. trying to get, why are people like liking this, but they don't want to, mm-hmm. you know, it's hard to get their attention on this other thing that I'm doing. Yeah. Um, I'll start by saying for me, you know, you always know that like the number one thing that is driving the most uh, interest and engagement and has the most eyes, you know, that's just your bread and butter. But to add something secondary to it and it even have like a half or a fraction of the same demand mm. uh, is very rare. It's very yeah. rare, you know, yeah. uh, especially quickly. Yeah. And that's why I've I've given credit and recognized the Renaissance uh, men and women who come from something like YouTube and then parlay that into a music career mm-hmm. or fashion or whatever, because it is really hard. It yeah. doesn't matter how many millions of followers you have on those channels for people to take you seriously in other lanes. Um, but what I will say about doing the Twitch stuff is like, I had the best time of my life as a creator working on Twitch. Mm. And I thought that some of the stuff that we were able to do on there with the live streams and with like the music content was more transformative than what we're able to do in an event space because we're talking to people in the chat as it's going on. You're literally reacting and interacting with your own community in real time and watching a show or creating a, we did a lot, you know, a late night talk show. So while the viewership and the the interest in some of these things is a lot lower or slow building, you know, we just hit a thousand followers on this podcast on Instagram. There you go. Uh, but those little victories when you go into a secondary lane or a tertiary lane and do something new, 
um, they seem to hit a little bit harder, even though it's not as like instant yeah. and wide, you know? Yeah. Well, I agree with everything you just said. And I also think something that shouldn't go understated is that it's a lot about like the community and the collective effort too. I think the question was interesting because it was talking a lot about obviously brownies putting on events and those who exist in music or work in music obviously know you guys as a collective and how you have put on lots of artists and helped to launch careers and do a lot for like LA and across the US and stuff. But it's interesting because it's like obviously having the notoriety of being people that do that is great but it's also like you guys all just started because you were people that like music and were excited to do this and I think in the end that's what it comes down to so the question is you know how do you feel when you're underappreciated and I think it's kind of like so what if you are you know like I think that's for some percentage of the people that attend your guys' shows, it's always going to be the case. Like, it's just going to be like, they want to see the artist or they want to go out on a Friday night. But it's because you guys are doing that, they have that option, right? Mm. So I think that's something to remember is like, we live, you know, we've talked about this even this in, in this episode. We live in a really like individualistic culture right now where like everyone has to be their own main character of everything, which, sure, that's fine. I appreciate that and support that as well. But it's also like, in the end, you got to just like like what you do. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I feel I feel like speaking of things that are reaching their breaking point, <laughs> that's the theme for me across this whole episode, apparently. <laughs> I think we are reaching that point because even in interviews that we've had on the podcast, this comes up a lot where people are like the collective feeling has been lost for a really long time. Like that feeling when we were all on SoundCloud, like reposting and commenting on each other's stuff. And like now we're back to a place where we're like we're, we miss that and I think that's what it comes down to right is like we do you guys throw events because like it brings people together and also then helps to you know launch an artist career or like do something else and then we do stuff like this because we like to talk to people about this world that we live in yeah. so yeah that's a really good point too you know because um look we are in one of the craziest attention economies of all time probably ever right now and it is very difficult to get people to look at whatever you're doing for more than a few seconds Mm -hmm. um so for them to listen to this podcast for an hour and sometimes every week or whatever is like to me that like five people do it is insane like for me like yeah that even five people let alone hundreds of people so you know you have to be able to also identify and be appreciative of like every little individual part of your um of your community and of your growth because yeah i mean it is it is kind of funny when like you know it's like we did a podcast it's like <laughs> we kind of made jokes about it when we started yeah. we we're like it's another podcast, another podcast. we're <laughs> gonna call it another podcast or something, another music podcast or whatever yeah. <laughs> all this noise i think also kind of speaks to that a little bit too it's like yeah we in this attention economy how do we say something that hasn't been said or yeah you know there's going to be guests that are on the show that are on other podcasts mm-hmm. oh, listen to it there too you know we're not t- stopping you from doing that um but we just do this because we like to have fun and i think yeah. if you do that that's how you can stay tapped into the underground and stay stay with the fans you know when we do these like pop-up parties a lot of times i don't really want to do them to be honest it's kind of risky <laughs> yeah. but people love them yeah you know and that's how you stay true to the underground and you know, if I'm 
streaming on Twitch for 20 people, but everyone is like really excited that we're all hanging out. Cool. You know, that's how you, I guess, you know, stay, uh, stay tapped in. But yeah, I, yeah. I, I know sometimes for people it is discouraging when they start something new as an offshoot or separate of their main thing and it doesn't get the same recognition. You know, For sure. But that's thing. also a symptom of just the world we live in where we see everyone's highlight reel, right? It's like everything takes work. Everything takes time. And I, and going back to what I said earlier, I think that's why it's even more important to just do something that makes you happy because I feel like I went through that like so much so in my like late twenties and just being like, you reach this point where you feel like you have a lot more to lose because you've obviously put in time and work into whatever your career life's work is. But then you're also, you realize you're so young and you still have so much more to do or more like totally more to explore yeah and you kind of have to wrestle with yourself and be like okay i'm gonna try things and i have to be okay with it failing (laughs) this is also a weird millennial thing too where i think like we were for some reason trained into thinking like every hobby of ours had to like become a business so anyways diving into my psyche a little bit no no absolutely (laughs) i love it but yeah but i think like it's important to like have that conversation with yourself when you're thinking about how you know how to stay true to yourself but how to do something that you're excited about it's like just do it as long as it makes you happy most of the time that's what eventually if you do it enough like there's a way to figure out a a life around that yeah as well yeah and what i will say last thing is that you know when you think that people feel like they're not getting enough recognition um even the most successful artists in the world don't feel like they're getting enough recognition sometimes, yeah. you know, it's yeah. just, that's just the disease of more. Everyone mm-hmm. always feels mm-hmm. like there could be more, there could be better, there could be, you know, something more value, valuable or honest or, you know, yeah. m- meaningful. So that's just, you know, that's just always going to be the, as long as you can kind of try to keep that in check, I think you're going to be happier. Yeah. Yeah. And even more reason why we have cool, fun conversations on this podcast. Cause like, you know, everyone deals with imposter syndrome or everyone deals with, feeling nervous or excited about a new chapter like even the many artists that we've had that are like well-known artists but they're doing something new or something like that that's right that's right we should have called this podcast imposter syndrome i know there's like five probably already yeah i was gonna say that's i'm sure we'd be fighting for some real estate i can already see that the artwork for it oh god uh do you want to read another one from ig Ooh. okay do we have enough time yeah we'll do one more we'll do one more okay we'll do one more what am I talking about time? There's no time in podcast Do world. Do we have enough time on okay. this thing that has no limits? Well, from our Instagram, our friend and loyal listener, Greg, gave us a question mm. about, he said, we're seeing a lot of label anniversaries, 10, 20 year anniversaries of like some really well-known labels. So he was curious about our thoughts on labels that we feel like are maybe newer that are reaching or starting to head in that direction that we're excited about, which is a fun question. Fun, yeah. Yeah. I mean, shout out to Fool's Gold Records, who is mm. celebrating their 15th anniversary. Uh, I was actually, one. yeah, I was brought on uh, around their, what was it like? Yeah, about around their 10th anniversary. Yeah. Um, And yeah, I mean, really when I was working there, I just was so happy to be part of that legacy and just like the most amazing group of artists also you know alza celebrated its 10-year anniversary even though it's technically not really releasing right now but Mm -hmm. i think a lot of people look at those cultural brands and and um outfits as being really really important 
Yeah. And I think that it has changed a little bit. Like, for sure. Like we've been talking about, I think, um, ad nauseum on this pod about <laughs> the differences in distribution and collectives and labels. But I do think there's a few labels. Um, I think Deadbeats is doing a great job. Mm. I think that they've really stayed true to like a really cool, you know, cutting edge sound, but also like massive shows with Zed's Dead. I think yeah. having like the baked in shows aspect of that label like always helps. I think that's one of the things that people like Chet Porter had said, like the benefits of going with like a smaller label like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, and also like Night Mode, um, my friends, um, Tucker and, and Dan started Night Mode, but um, really cool because it was, you know, DMCA free music, mm. um, which is really helpful for creators on Twitch and uh, yeah. other places to have the they music. They were answering a, a need, basically, right? Absolutely. Yeah. They were behind um, Noctu's Dash Star, which, you know, is a huge song, launched his career. But I think because it's so integrated with gaming, and mm-hmm. we saw a few of their songs pop in uh, Counter Strike um, Go. Um, I just think that that's really forward thinking. And I think, you know, there's a different kind of fan that's chronically online and <laughs> in those spaces that um, appreciates a monster cat or yeah. night mode in a different way than maybe us who like needed the live events as a component. Yeah. And I think, I mean, you brought it up already, like Chet Porter talked about it and a couple other people have come on and talked about how important these kind of like artist run close to the culture labels are right now and it's like not only can you move a little faster you also gain a lot more than just like the support of a label you know you gain like maybe you'll join those artists on tour and you'll become part of that little family and like their fans will kind of integrate with your fans and all that kind of stuff so yeah yeah i think that's i i generally think that's just the direction that we're going to see more of like obviously the big labels are always going to exist and stay but yeah Dance music just doesn't really fit into that mold until it gets into a certain size. So yeah. it makes sense that we're like seeing so many more of these, uh, like so much more power go to those kinds of labels. But yeah, for me, I was trying to think of, I mean, there's so many exciting labels, but I think one that just comes to mind is Ninja Tune. I feel like they, I actually don't know when they were started. I was like trying to secretly Google it down here, but. I'll look it up later, but quite a while ago. Yeah. And I was going to say, like, I know they're not necessarily new per se. Like, you know, the question itself was saying, like, not the ones that are celebrating big anniversaries. Totally. But I will say that I think they've done a really good job of feeling new. Like, I think there's a place for those kind of labels that had a mark in history and like, like an Alzla, for example, like they're not releasing currently, but like, we'll always know. Yeah, their impact. People still wear the jackets and the logo and everything. Total, you know? Same. Exactly. But I think <laughs> a label like Ninja Tune has done such a fantastic job of like moving with the currents of dance music and also still being really true to like what they are. Like they sit in this really like indie leaning like I don't even know like for some reason the, the words like softer spoken is coming to mind but that's obviously like some of their music is really fun and upbeat and not that way but like they really carved out that space for themselves in dance music while still staying like really modern. Yeah. You know, I think of artists like Tisha and like, and just being able to continue on with like amazing releases through all the years. 
I always look to them as like a curator, I will say. That's great. So. A great choice. Yeah. yeah. Another one I'd be remiss to, uh, if I did not mention, is Sable Valley. We've done like a lot yeah. of shows with them. Mm-hmm. But the roster that they've cultivated, you know, speaks to the like music first, you know, before the image. Yeah. Uh, and just like really being very specific about the sonics in that universe um, that they've done. Um, and so you're seeing like a similar... Um, cultural sort of resonance uh that people have with that label that kind of similar to like the Alza kind of yeah it's interesting like that was a heyday for a certain thing and i do think that other labels have done a good job mm-hmm. um but you know time will tell if like their anniversaries and like their kinds of big milestone moments will be kind of celebrated the way that some of these other labels used to do yeah you know mad decent used to tour all over the country and like it seemed like everything that they did was a huge celebration you know i don't i think that some people are able to kind of execute that kind of stuff but it's just a different landscape now yeah for sure and i'm glad you bring that up because actually it made me think of another label that i think is really exciting right now and it's actually higher ground which is also Diplo's, one of Diplo's labels, but yep. an offshoot yep. um, that focuses also more on like the house house side of things. And I feel like they've also done a really good job of kind of like picking up where maybe that baton from like the mad decent heyday era left off. And like, mm. you know, I think Diplo's the kind of artist where like he is both a tastemaker, but also understands like the wider culture of like the direction and trends of ways things go. And for him to have, higher ground as a label which is now doing that like they throw parties that are really big parties have amazing lineups and they're like everywhere right now for them to be doing that still is a pretty cool like growth and like next chapter of what he's doing so absolutely and then we're gonna throw the 10-year anniversary of this podcast uh we're gonna be so old 10 years 2033 (laughs) greg will be there Yes, of course. And a handful of our Discord members. Yeah. Uh, but hey, thank you for sending those in. Uh, yeah. We'll make sure to do more next time. Yeah. Send us questions whenever. We're... I won't talk about the mall as much. <laughs> and then we can fit in one more question. <laughs> or we could do a whole episode where we talk about the mall. The cultural impact don't of the mall. Don't even get me started. Don't <laughs> don't start with that tease. Um, but yeah, thank you for your time, Val. This is a, a, I love doing a little Val chat. I know. I love hanging out. Well, I mean, that's why we did this podcast. No, this is the, our <laughs> excuse for hanging out. We don't hang out much. <laughs> I was hanging out together. We saw each other at a show and we're like, hey. I turned the other way. I was like, who? Oh, no, I'm just kidding. Kind of a little too busy for this right now. Uh, we were like walking the same direction. Damn, you couldn't let the podcast end without a roast, huh? <laughs> you got to get a little roast in there. minute roast. Uh, but hey, thank you guys so much again for all the support. I really did mean what I said, like, Every time I see that, you know, a couple hundred people, people downloaded an episode, I'm, I'm like, what? Every single time. And look, it is hard <laughs> to get YouTube views. So I know that if there's like a hundred YouTube views on this, I know a hundred people watched it. Yeah. I mean, no, you know, 100%. Like, and also watching like the whole thing. We yeah. appreciate the time and the thoughts and the questions. So we're going to be doing more of these, I think, in the future. We do Val Chat, up, Val Chat episodes every once in a while. So feel free to give us a shout when you want us to chat about things. But thanks for tuning in.